Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you thought Birmingham's successful staging of the Commonwealth Games in 2022 was the final time for now that the United Kingdom's second city would be hosting a major multi-sporting event, then think again. In August this year, Brum will be hosting the IBSA World Games, an event for blind and partially sighted athletes. I'm John. And I'm Michael. The World Games will feature three Paralympic and eight non-Paralympic sports, with around 1,000 athletes from over 70 countries. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the podcast which speaks to the people in charge of sport in this country. And ahead of the event being staged at the University of Birmingham this summer, let's hear from two of those charged with delivering it. Hi, I'm Yuri Mattishan, Managing Director of MLS. Hi, I'm John Timms and I'm the Director of MLS and I'm the Event Director of the World Ibsa Games in Birmingham this year. John, although I've been told we need to call you Timsy because we have our own <laughs> anything Timsy, <laughs> John. Yeah, no problem. I have no issue with that. <laughs> the Ibsa World Games. I mean, tell us first of all how excited you are that it's being staged this year in Birmingham. And, and, and for people that don't know, what is it? Well, first of all, what a great opportunity to talk about blind and partially sighted athletes uh, coming to the UK. The first manifestation of these games in the UK, um, 11 sports. Um, some of the best uh, athletes in those sports in the world will be competing in Birmingham and, and of which three sports will be trying to qualify to go to Paris 2024. And we're trying to make sure we get British athletes in particular, <laughs> if we can help them qualify to get to Paris 2024. So a real opportunity there um, coming across. Um, it, it, it's a great opportunity for, for us to talk about event delivery and to talk about the challenges and, and, and things. But above all, it's just exciting. It's just brilliant to be bringing an event like this in. And we're following the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. So like that, that, that we, we were joking in the planning stages. We, when, if you could get the Commonwealth Games right, you'll be ready for us when we arrive. Well, we were both in Birmingham for the Commonwealth Games and we were there every day and we saw some fantastic sport. But above all, I think we saw a city that really rose to the challenge. And it was a challenge because, as we know, Birmingham didn't have the lead time that other previous Commonwealth Games host cities have had. 
but we saw a city that that loves its sport and i guess if you can harness 10 percent of what we saw in the summer of 2022 it's going to be a terrific event the world games yeah, we're definitely looking to do that. And harness is a good word to use. Um, it's not difficult to harness it. That's what's really nice. Um, we What we're seeing is everybody's come off the back of the Commonwealth Games with enthusiasm for events and event delivery, and particularly multi-sport event delivery, because that's exciting. Lots of different things going on across the city at the same time. So that's really great. And what we're also able to do is, what the Commonwealth Games did is it was lots of people got lots of great experience. You know, they understand events, they've got trained, they've had customer service training as volunteers, they've had, they understand what it means to meet and greet people and encourage them to experience the city of Birmingham in its wider areas. And, and we're able to just harness all that and bring it all together and and and, and use it again and, and build on that experience. So we're really lucky in that respect. But that, the Commonwealth Games, like you said, great for the city. And we're looking to replicate that in, in, in a smaller way, but still the same enthusiasm. Yuri, they always say that the Olympics is the warm-up for the Paralympics. So I think you're absolutely right saying that the Commonwealth Games was a warm-up for the World Games. Um, how did Birmingham win the right to stage the event? And then what's your role, Yuri, at MLS to deliver it? Many years ago, um, UK Sport and British Blind Sport came to us and said, is there an opportunity to work with blind sport? It's something of the disability sports in our country has been least had has had the least attention and least funding, and um, and they're the ones that are least physically active as well. So, what we wanted to do was uh, try and promote uh, blind sport with British Blind Sport. We went about a feasibility study, looking at cities that could actually host this, and we came across. We went. We visited Liverpool. We looked at Sheffield. We looked at Birmingham, and in the end, um, there were a number of cities. We came across Birmingham who in effect um, had a city with already 30,000 blind uh, registered citizens and had a university where there were 64 blind students operating and a number of staff. With the facility infrastructure, with the Commonwealth Games infrastructure, it was felt that Birmingham would be the strongest bid. The University of Birmingham were very keen to have it and the city of Birmingham were very keen to have inclusion as a key theme post Commonwealth Games. So this really fed that opportunity. And uh, we, we went about a feasibility, we looked at the partnerships and the stakeholders, and we could make it sustainable. And key to that was the area of University of Birmingham is called Edgbaston, and around it, we could bring a range of facilities that were of sufficient standard that enabled us to make sure that the Games Village was just a 20-minute walk to 75% of the Games facilities, which is a fantastic um, value add when you have blind athletes, where transport is huge. So in the bid to the International Federation, once you brought them onto the campus and then said, we can walk to these facilities, it was a huge win and um, a lot of work had been done on wayfinding through the university campus at, at Birmingham already. And so this really enabled us to um, have a fantastic bid. So we, we chose Birmingham. We went then on to the international bid. We got UK sport funding to support us and stakeholder funding. And uh, we were awarded internationally because um, it was such a great offer. 
And give us a little insight into the logistics that are required to to stage the event. You mentioned there about the issues with transport. Well, you've got a thousand blind athletes coming from from seventy countries. Yeah, I mean it's actually um, going to be around one thousand two hundred and fifty. We think now in seventy nations. Um, it, interestingly, it's it's like any other major sporting event. You've got to have facilities of the right standard. The complications, as John and and Alison and the team are finding is um, often blind sport needs to be played in, in some sort of quiet environment. So if you're in goal ball, uh, you know, shooting and so on, you need a facility where you can compete, but you also need to be able to replicate silence during competition. And so uh, how you warm up and where you compete needs to be almost soundproofed in some ex- aspects or very much managed in terms of audience audience participation and so on, so some of the some of the challenges are there in terms of trying to find venues that can be um, protected against external noise. And John, this is and there's no getting away from it an elite sporting event. This is qualification for the Paralympics. Where does this sit in terms of that that world stage, if you like? Oh, it's it's a it's a huge opportunity for athletes to put themselves, you know, world ranking qualification to other events, in particular the Paralympic Games for three other sports. Um, it's it's right up there, you know. The the, the demand to attend is huge. Um, oversubscribed in some sports, and federations are having to go and find a way of selecting the teams that attend and 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 their qualification processes. People have to qualify to attend these games. It's not just okay. I'm a I'm a good level. Uh, archer i want to attend you've got to have reached a level to get into these games so it's it's really important um that people understand that this is going to be the best of the best coming to compete in their sports um from around the world to qualify for events and they're having to qualify to get here as well um so the level's really high and for those te- for those sports that are trying to qualify for the paralympics you know the, the, this is life-changing opportunity when you get to the Paralympics for for, the, for blind and partially sighted athletes to be recognised. I love an opening ceremony. There's nothing better for me on a Sunday afternoon than bringing YouTube up and watching the opening ceremony from Brisbane 1982 whilst doing my ironing. What have you got planned for Birmingham 2023? So it's really interesting because um, I love watching opening ceremonies too. And it's one of the things I used to make my kids, anytime there's Olympics on, I'd be like, right, we're all sitting down to, I don't care it's four in the morning, we're waiting for the GB to walk onto this um, onto this track or wherever. So I love watching opening ceremonies too. So it's important. And um, I think that the it, what's really key is for us is we've, we're actually developing our opening ceremony purely thinking about blind and partially sighted people in the audience. We're looking to work with, so we're looking to use the Symphony Hall in the centre of Birmingham, which is one of the most acoustically brilliant venues in the world. From a sound perspective, we know it's going to be of the highest quality for those people in the audience. Um, and we're, but we're also speaking with and looking and we're developing using blind and partially sighted performers, musicians to, 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 to help and lead on that because they're advising us and obviously they know what, works for blind and partially sighted people in the audience. But we're looking to make it bright, exciting, uh, inside the Symphony Hall um, in Birmingham and bringing it, bringing the, the whole Games family together at that point to celebrate the start of the Games, um, just like you would see in other opening ceremonies. John, just two more questions on the World Games and we'll, we'll talk wider about what MLS does. Firstly, when is it and can people come and watch? 
Yeah, so it's August. Competition actually starts on the 14th of August. Um, and the opening ceremony, I think, is on the 16th. So, yes, people can come and watch. It's actually free to attend most of the sports. Um, we are charging to watch uh, football, goalball and judo. Um, they're the Paralympic qualification sports. So there will be some ticketing for those sports and people will be able to find out information on that via the website. Um, so that's all going to happen. Yes, they can come along. Uh, the venues are all across Birmingham, uh, as Yuri described, majority in that Edgebaston area, but we are broader than that. We can't get everything into Edgebaston. We are looking to try and bring some things into the city centre as well. People can turn up. We'd encourage people to turn up. We'd encourage people to, particularly if you've got friends and family that are blind and partially sighted, uh, you know, let's bring that, all that group together so they can watch sport together and then enjoy it together and understand how it impacts each other. And um, one more question from me before we we move on, and I'm going to ask you, John, first, and then you, Yuri, as well. We are the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. Anything but footy. That is what we do. We want to talk about the Olympics and Paralympics. 2012 in London, everyone tells us that it changed the game for the Paralympics and para sport. From your perspectives, because you guys have worked in it for a lot longer than me and Michael have talked about it. Is that the case or is it a British thing in our own mind? We were great at it while actually the rest of the world thinks, well, no, actually Rio did something or et cetera, et cetera. So, John, you, you kick us off. Well, I, I could say I was there. Um, I was a technical delegate for wheelchair rugby at the Paralympic Games in 2012. And it was completely transformational. Um, we, the bar was pushed so high by UK and LOCOG um, and the IPC to, to, to so high, um, everything was thought about. The biggest opportunity that was taken was the fact that Paralympic athletes were thought about in every step of the process in delivering those games, from arriving at airports, being meet, met, greeted, transferred in appropriate vehicles, understanding the arrival process of different disabilities and what that needs, equipment requirements of athletes and teams, coming into the Games Village, the adjustments of accommodation were thought about well in advance um, to assist athletes and the experience of athletes. And then the venues and the competition was first rate. It was without a doubt a, a, a magnitude changing structure going forward. We we, we delivered a, a world championships in goalball in 2010 in Sheffield. And the goalball leads told us at that point, this is better than most Paralympics we've been to, John. This is brilliant. Thank you. Compared to 2012, we were that our goalball world championships, whilst excellent, and I'm not saying they weren't excellent, um, but compared to 2012, that was be another step beyond where we got to in 2010. Rio had its challenges, everybody knows that, but they still made it happen. And, and what was carried across, I know was the thought about what, what do the athletes need? That was always a priority. Make sure what the athletes have got, what they need will compromise in other areas. And I think that's important. That was one of the biggest things from London that came out. It, the good thing in London was they didn't need to compromise on the other areas. It was well-planned, well-delivered. The legacy was fought from Olympics to Paralympics, was really tied together. We're working with Paris now, and I can completely see that relationship between Olympics and Paralympics how do we transfer from one to the other? What do we carry over? How does that work? And that was really manifested well in London. John was a technical official during the Paralympic Games and the Olympics. I was involved in sports presentations. So I was actually an in-venue announcer and, uh, um, and commentator. And everything in the 
Olympic environment. This was for volleyball. So I did volleyball at Earl's Court. And then I moved over to uh, sitting volleyball at the XL. But what was fantastic is the same level of sports presentation was continued. Um, the crowds grew. In fact, the crowds were fantastic for disability sport. And so, you, you know, you, you had that real engagement and that continued through to the Paralympics from the Olympics in 2012. And I think it popularized disability sport amongst everyone in the nation. And I think that's in terms of, in, in a way, it's the transformation that we're looking for the World Ipsa Games. We want to celebrate the abilities of the athletes. And that's what we wanted to create actually out of the games this year in Birmingham. Come and see these athletes who happen to be blind. I know our experiences from London 2012 was to just to see how Paralympians became athletes, full stop. Yuri, it's as if you've listened to some previous editions of our podcast with what you've just said. We've always, <laughs> always maintained see the ability first, not the disability first. And that's always been our outlook, certainly when we've covered World European Championships and Paralympic Games. Tell us a little bit about your company then, Managing Director at MLS. And it was something that came out of the World University Games in Sheffield in 1991. A lot of people uh, sort of don't have terrific memories of that event. But for you, it was a starting point. Oh, it it was. um, I, I was working in London. I was the General Secretary of British University Sport, which I think perhaps many of you have come across in your in your next day lives. And um, we st- we bid to stage the World University Games and we chose the city of Sheffield to bid. 1987, we were awarded the Games. And then I, I came over to Sheffield to work with um, a guy called Jerry Montgomery, who was director of sport for the city, then for the Games. They'd had a phenomenal vision of regenerating the city from steel and coal through leisure um, and, uh, and recreation. Not, not just purely for that, re- uh, purely on that basis, but it was a huge part of the regeneration package. So in 1987 to 91, it was the biggest single leisure recreation build of any city in our country. It was 200 millions then. So it actually also brought a tram system. It brought the refurbishment of the two theatres, as well as these facilities. And, and I know there might have been a little bit of a... Um, a political debate about it lost a bit of money it lost 10 million quid can you imagine staging anything for 10 million quid these days and from that point we said Sheffield will be a major event center it had a phenomenal pool that no one had ever built in the country first pool for 50 years first arena for 50 years so from that we began staging uh we set up a company called MLS we we uh, we embarked on staging events in fact, John joined us. We were talking about this, weren't we, John? <laughs> he joined us as a student on wanting work experience. And, and, and John gave a year of his life free over to the company. And from that point, joined the company, became part of the company. Myself, John, Sarah, um, Jerry's daughter. We've, we've been in that company now for 30 years, pretty much. Man and boy. And and we've stayed together, and um, and that's eventually how I like you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's and and we've grown through a whole you know whole range of experience. Our first major event was the 1993 European Diving Water Polo Championships and Synchro, never been held in Britain. 
for about 50 years as well. And that was our first event. It was it was massive. Ten days of live BBC coverage. And when you look back now, uh, for example, a British diving championships at Ponds Forge. I've seen ice hockey at the yep. Sheffield Arena or the GB boxing success coming out of the English Institute of Sport in Sheffield. I even got on that tram and got dragged to see a U2 concert at the much-missed Don Valley Stadium. £10 million doesn't seem like a bad infrastructure investment, actually. Well, the loss of £10 million was the, the revenue loss on the Games, which caused the political wobbles then. But Jerry, he became director of sport for the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. And uh, we knew the scale of investment that was coming out of... Uh, the lottery, the city, etc. And it was the Queen's Jubilee. So, you know, it was hundreds and hundreds of millions going into infrastructure investment. And I think Manchester uh, Commonwealth Games did for Manchester what it did for Birmingham, what it did for Glasgow. It, it was quite quiet. And then the residents of Greater Manchester got behind the Commonwealth Games and it exploded. It was an event that Manchester have never left behind. They've just grown and grown. And look at the facility infrastructure now in that city. And in our own city, you know, we're building our own arena now to, to house everything that we run. The visitor tourism uh, impact on the, on the region is significant. It's just, it's nice short of a billion pounds a year. And it's one of the largest employers of, of, um, of our citizens as well. It goes way beyond sport. It is a true regeneration programme, sport, leisure, tourism. Well, John, Yuri just dropped in there. Well, we're just building an arena in Sheffield. Uh, yeah. What else, John, do you do? You, do, you do? You're, you're, you're a man of, obviously, both of you are men uh, of many talents. Tell us more about the other sports that you run, the events you run, and, and maybe where that commitment to para sports came as well. Yeah, so we, we we were involved in a lot of different sports and events and projects. Um, I always say MLS is a company that's done every every type of area of sports that you can think of. We've probably worked in it in one way or another, whether it's commercially, uh, professionally, uh, performance-wise. We, we work across all those areas within sport, venues, etc., um, yeah, we're building an arena. This is one of our exciting things that we're looking at. We're, we're working with Yuri and Sarah in particular, have driven that project for us. Um, you know, but what we've done is there is it's one of the strengths of what MLS does is about working in partnership with people and bringing partners together yeah. across all our projects. Um, and, and and that's just an amazing partnership project to build this two two thousand seat venue in Sheffield on the old Don Valley Stadium site on the Olympic Legacy Park. And, and building legacy into that project as well and then we're looking to that venue will be open to the community around that area as well as bringing in events for the right size and scale of the venue can host so really exciting project that we're moving forward and we could spend the next three hours talking to you about that which we want our other projects that we're involved in um we're delivering um the european para table tennis championships later in the year uh, where we're supporting british para table tennis to do that and the city of sheffield which is in sheffield um, we delivered the British Transplant Games, which is a, a game, a multi-sport games for people that had made life-saving organ transplants. Um, that event last year created a media reach of 3.3 billion. And that's an annual event that we deliver every year at different cities across the UK. And our links to Parasport always come back to when we work, we, we learn about the sports that we work with. So we, we pick up a contract in, in Goalball as an example. But what we're key about that is we need to learn about blind athletes. 
we need to understand the sport and the impact on those athletes. You take that knowledge and you can apply it to other Paralympic sports. Oh, we understand this in Paralympic sports. And over a period of time, we've definitely built up a wide knowledge of understanding what wheelchair athletes need, what blind and partially sighted athletes need, what athletes with cerebral palsy need, what the botcher athletes need, what do wheelchair rugby athletes need that are different to other para-athletes. Excited working in para-sports. It's brilliant. Well, Yuri and John, we've never had a duo on Great British Bosses before. So uh, <laughs> it's a it's a great first. But you mentioned a couple of people um, that you work with, Sarah and, and Jerry. And I think the listeners will need to know who these people are and, and the success that they've brought to, w- along with you guys. Jerry was the, the founder of MLS. Um, he was driven, you know, uh, in, through sport and leisure. He was a great venue operations guy, but he had the vision that sport and leisure can regenerate cities. And Sarah was his daughter and she joined us in the company. And Sarah, within our structure, runs and operates the Sheffield Sharks basketball franchise that we collectively own. And that arena that we're building will be the home of the Sheffield Sharks franchise and the home of the women's basketball franchise, the Sheffield Hatters. That will be the core of why we're doing it. We want to give it a basketball home. The BBL in which we play, uh, the British Basketball League, is growing rapidly and we needed to invest. And uh, this is our opportunity to build our arena. We're doing it in partnership with Canon Medical Systems because we've installed a diagnostic and medical suite into the arena, completely unique in the UK. So we have a diagnostic and medical suite, which is state of the art, um, and we will be able to um, scan athletes from elite to warrior athletes like us who we're past it but also it's open to the nhs because there's a huge demand on the need for diagnostics so it will be um, a clinical diagnostic center on the home of the sheffield don valley athletic stadium as was but what's been created on that site is quite phenomenal a home for rugby league and the sheffield eagles we have um, a through school from two to 16 years of age in one of the most deprived areas of the city called Attercliffe. And also we have an advanced advanced wellness research center on the park run by Sheffield Hallam University. We're building a child health technology center operated by the Sheffield Children's Hospital. And we have um, a university technical college for health and um, computer sciences. It's right next to the English Institute of Sport and the Sheffield Arena and ICE Sheffield. So that's why we're calling it the Olympic Legacy Park, because we're going to drive physical activity, elite performance and the health and well-being of residents. I don't know if there's enough hours in the day for what you two guys are doing. So we're going to have to let you go very shortly. But last couple of questions from me, then. We're driven. You've used used the word driven. You've used the word vision. I spent a lot of the second half of last year talking about why I thought Birmingham should be ambitious and bid for an Olympic Games. And I still believe that. But I've also, and this goes back to to 2012 when I was working on regional radio in in Yorkshire and covered the Olympics and Paralympics under the banner if Yorkshire was a country. Why can't Yorkshire as a region host something like the Commonwealth Games? And why don't we get together and do it, Yuri? In 1994, our company was contracted by the city to bid for the Commonwealth Games. Myself and John and Jerry, we went into the room to bid for the Commonwealth Games for Manchester 2002 as the city of Sheffield. 
but we had to withdraw in that room because we had to sign a blank check to say we'd underwrite the Commonwealth Games. Manchester had the goal to do it and we had to withdraw because our the political climate of just coming through the World University Games, it was raw. So we had to have an understanding of what the budget was before we could sign. And we had to withdraw. Literally, I wouldn't call it the 11th hour. I would call it midnight. And we had to walk out, sit on a train, heads in our knees. It was dreadful. But yes, we should and could bid for the Commonwealth Games um, without doubt. In terms of that infrastructure, a Yorkshire-wide bid, for example, I remember going to see uh, in Hull, actually, at the KC Stadium, watching squash there. So there's no reason why Commonwealth Games squash can be in Hull. Sheffield, Leeds, I mean, there, there is an opportunity there in all seriousness, isn't there? We need yeah, to address I mean, an athletic stadium, don't we, John? Yeah, the, the, you would need some infrastructure built. There definitely need to be some to make that work, but it's not anything dramatic you've got lots of venues and facilities like you've just described um across the region um so yeah it could definitely definitely happen even even when birmingham hosted the games it it was birmingham coventry you know it expands out beyond into the west midlands region and they and they looked at it as more as a west midlands how does yeah. the west midlands benefit from this so um it's definitely the case that Yorkshire could host. Bring it on. Let's do it. Berit, Berit, wasn't it, John? Berit. <laughs> well, Yuri Matchton, Managing Director of MLS Contracts and John Timms, Director of the Ipsa World Games, which are taking place in Birmingham this coming summer. We are delighted to have spoken to you and thank you so much for telling us your stories on Great British Bosses. Well, thank, thank you very you. much. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.